Welcome to Wired for Impact, home of creators, entrepreneurs, and leaders who are wired to make a difference. If you're here, it's because you have three things. Number one, a unique gift or calling. Number two, you care about people. And number three, you have a deep desire to contribute. When you add those three things up, you are in the game of creating impact. You are what I call an impact player. My name is Peter King. I'm the host of the program. And in each episode, I have conversations with world-class impact players who have aligned their unique gifts with the contribution they've made in the world to create massive impact. So listen into these conversations and allow them to inspire you to overcome the obstacles in your way and to fulfill your potential. Tyron Mowbray, how are you doing, my friend? Very good, Peter. How are you doing, bro? Very good from across the pond. Uh, well, mm-hmm. the other the other ponds to the uh, to the <laughs> west. <laughs> to the west, yeah. To the west. Uh, you're in Australia. What city are you in again? Uh, the Gold Coast. So just south That's of right. Um, something most people haven't been aware of is just the massive rains and floodings that have been happening over there. How are things going now? Yeah, it's still raining. Um, you know, not like intensely every day, like it did, but, uh, it was, it was full on, man. It was the worst, uh, it's the worst floods that have ever been seen in the region. And, um, I was, uh, I was locked in my house for three days, not because we were getting flooded. Um, we were up on a hill. But uh, yeah, landslides and, and flooding over the roads so that you know we couldn't drive out. And uh, yeah, tens of thousands of people lost their homes and like an entire CBD to an entire town of about 40,000 people was, was three meters underwater. So yeah, they, they still don't have power in the town after, what is it? It's been two months um, and then actually Jeez. got flooded three weeks later again. So um, yeah, not to the yeah. same height, but uh, I think it was like the, the levee was 14.7 at the highest in the first flood. And then it was like 11.3 on the second flood, which was three weeks later. So Wow. That's yeah. unprecedented. And and as I've seen, there's been some really sketchy weather patterns going on, very um, head scratching type uh, weather patterns that don't look very organic. We'll just leave it at that unless you want to dive into that. <laughs> uh, yeah, it's not, I, I don't have, you know, uh, people have shown me those things and, you know, it's, uh, yeah, look, the army took a long, long time to get out here and there's, you know, the funding hasn't come through yet and the SES only had one boat to rescue people in a place that's a flood zone and, you know, there's lots of things that we could, tangents we could go down in there for sure, but uh, I, I tend to kind of just step back and try to hold a field of love for, for those processes, you know, and focus on the people that were affected. That's a beautiful intention. This might be a good segue into what you're doing now with the embodied entrepreneur, um, because I imagine that what you're doing goes beyond the scope of entrepreneurship um, to be fully embodied. So for those that don't know who you are, if you could just give a brief background mm-hmm. and what the embodied entrepreneur is. Sure. Thanks, Peter. Yeah, I'm Mike, so Tyron Mowbray. Uh, I'm, a, I'm an Aussie hooligan, I guess you could say. You know, I grew up uh, in outback Australia. Um, playing footy, drinking beers, taking drugs and uh, sleeping with as many women as would let me for a long, long period of my life. And um, ultimately, I, I had a bit of a breakdown. I um, got to 27 and I realized that I hated the man that I was presenting to the world. You know, I was like, there is so much more to me than, than, I, am, than I am showing, you know. And what that looked like was, um, you know, I didn't feel whole in my friendships. I was like, why do my friends not want to, why do we not have better conversation? Why do we not do this? Why do we not do this? You know, I just had these moments of why do I not feel fulfilled in my life? You know, why is my relationship, why did my relationship fail? Why did, 
I have to buy his options. Like, why did all these things happen? And um, ultimately, it was it was because I was not showing up the way that I wanted to in life. You know, I wasn't opening the door for my friends to have those conversations. I wasn't showing that I had the capacity to to be emotionally deep and have um, conversations about you know relationship issues or emotions or you know the bigger concepts of life. So. Yeah, I had a bit of an identity crisis and went on a round-the-world trip to find myself at 28 and um, didn't really find myself. But what I did do was dissolve the idea of who I was. You know, I dissolved the identity that I had and realised that there was a shit-ton of unprocessed emotion. There was a shit-ton a shit ton of, you know, um, unprocessed kind of relationship stuff with my father and with, with my past girlfriends who had broken my heart when I was a teenager and I just closed my heart and become an mm. asshole and, you know, all these things and um, uh, became a yoga teacher, went on some sexuality retreats, you know, like did a whole bunch of different things to try to move through this and um, just learned so much about myself, uh, pain, emotions, how we attach um, stories to experiences which then dictate how we continue to live our life in the future, which we don't realise because no one ever tells us how to process our emotions and, you know, so I've been a men's coach for a few years now and then I was kind of pulling apart, well, who are the clients that I've had that have got the most from my from my work and, and who makes the biggest impact in the world? You know, like we always talk about impact and, and who wants to, you know, we want to change the world, we want to leave a legacy. And it was always um, business owners and entrepreneurs because I feel like people that have gone down the business path, that's a personal development journey in itself, right? I'm sure you can vouch for that. It's like if you want to, if you want to become a millionaire, if you want to like step outside the zone of, of normal and become, you know, something different, you rub up against all the limitations that you have internally, like all the belief systems. And when you rub up against a belief system and you try to break that, you, you hit emotion, right? Like you, you hit limiting beliefs, you hit emotion. And so what I've learned to master uh, to some extent is my emotions and that doesn't mean I don't feel what it means is I can identify what emotion I'm feeling and where it comes from and what the story is behind it because then what that does is actually gives me more motivation to move forward rather than procrastinate and you know fucking check out my phone or watch porn or jerk off or go try and have sex with someone or drink alcohol or take drugs or you know I, I've learned to understand my emotions because every action is driven by emo uh, emotion whether that's a positive action or a negative action, it's all driven by an emotion. So the more I understand my emotions and the, the more powerful I become in that and the more I can embody and express and feel, one, the more alive I feel. I haven't numbed myself, uh, so I feel alive. And secondly, I'm more motivated and passionate to move in the direction that I want to keep going. Mm. Let me ask you a question. You brought up a really good point of, of mastering your emotions. I think some, sometimes when men specifically hear mastering their emotions, they think that I won't get angry, that I won't snap, that I won't have these things. Can you uh, go a little bit deeper with that, what you mean by mastering your emotions, feeling those emotions and, uh, and doing them in a healthy way? Yeah, absolutely. Um, and, you know, like, so my dad, I, I love him. He's my greatest teacher, you know, but very... Um, uh, emotionally castrated to some extent. You know, he's a soccer hooligan um, that grew up in Australia. And, you know, there's a certain level of you had to be tough, you know, and you do have to be tough in this world to survive. There is a certain layer of thick skinness that you need. And so I'm not sitting here saying that men need to feel more and cry um, and be in their feminine in order to be more masculine, you know. 
but they do need to be able to be okay with the expression of emotion when it arises because when you don't it just buries and it layers on top of each, uh, one another um and so for, so for me like you know anger grief sadness but also joy ecstasy happiness they are all emotions and they all need to be expressed and if you only ever try to live in one end of the spectrum because emotions are a spectrum then what you're doing is like you're moving the center point kind of like to, to one side and what happens is all these negative quotation negative emotions they become bad and so what happens is anytime we feel a negative emotion we don't think we should feel like that so we suppress it or we get angry at ourselves because of it and that's why men usually express anger instead of grief or anger instead of sadness or anger instead of jealousy it's like because they actually can't go into those emotions and understand what they are and then let them go so anger is always the thing that comes out. And my dad was a really angry man, you know, like he didn't know how to process. So I just got the butt of anger. And he never hit me or abused me or anything like that. But just his the way that he would process his anger scared the shit out of me as a kid. So then that made me feel bad about like oh, what, what I said or what I did or how I felt or whatever. So, you know, I create a story that, that there must be something wrong with me. And this is how it gets passed on, right? This is generational, quotation, generational trauma. Um, and so, you know, when we can accept emotions and understand that it's a process and they will pass, like, this is the thing. It's like men are so afraid of their emotions because they think we're going to get lost in them. We think we're going to become this droopy dude that lays in bed all day and watches movies and eats ice cream and never takes any action. So we're constantly taking action, but actually we're just, we're just creating tension in the body, right? Like emotion is energy in motion. And if we don't let that emotion move, then it becomes stagnant and creates blocks. And that's where we create diseases in the body, you know? So, mm -hmm. um, yeah, like, you know, people have heaps of different tools. I've got specific emotional processing tools um, that I teach my clients, but also at the same time, like, it can be anything. That's why people exercise. That's why people, um, you know, I, one of my favorites is screaming. Like, I, I love screaming and yelling because it's actually very potent and it moves a lot of energy. And, you know, our, our voice is something, you know, I wouldn't do it in a supermarket necessarily. Um, not because it shouldn't, like I think we should be able to do it, but mostly because, you know, you've got to be considerate of other people. But the problem is we'll get angry somewhere, won't release the emotion at the time because of society, which is cool, but we won't go somewhere and then do it either. You know, we won't, we won't release it later. So we hold on to that tension, that anger, that sadness a funeral even you know like we might give ourselves a little bit of permission but still we we hold and you know what happens at a funeral everyone goes to a wake gets blind drunk and then they finally let out the emotions like alcohol is a lubricator and we shouldn't be reliant on something like that in order to process grief you know we should be allowed to process our grief and understand that it takes a bit of time mm -hmm. um but yeah there's lots of different ways you know screaming underwater um, stamping your feet you know, there's heaps of ways that you can do like just squeeze and hold is my favorite just to take a deep breath in squeeze the whole body for like you know 30 40 seconds and then relax and you're just you're just allowing relaxation in the body mm, that's interesting um what would you say was your low point you talked about earlier how you didn't like who you were becoming the man that you were becoming what was the low point for you what was the pivot point there's there's probably two or there's three things that i'll speak into here one was um i was uh addicted to tinder and hinge and you know having sex with women so um there was many many times when i would finish having sex with a woman 
And, you know, I'm very touchy and cuddly by nature, but I had so much contraction in my system that like I wouldn't even be able to to sleep over or, or hug these women after sex. Like I could, like, you know, there's something in me was just like, I kind of want to vomit it. I wanted to vomit after having sex mm-hmm. with a woman because I was just, I didn't like her, you know, and I was purely doing it for my own selfish gratification. Um, and there was no heart in it. I just completely closed my heart. So there was quite a few times like that, which, which were moments. Um, there was another time I was working out in the mines and I was, I tried to masturbate without porn one time and I couldn't get an erection and I was 27 years old, you know? Mm. So that was also another moment of like 27 and you can't mm. get an erection without porn. Tyron, that's, you know, that's, a, there's something fucking wrong here. Um, but that all led to a time when I was, um, I was in Thailand and I went there for my mate's wedding and I knew I was depressed already. So I was like, I'm going to go, I'm going to do a couple of weeks of Muay Thai. I'm going to go scuba diving. I'm going to spend the whole month on my own in Thailand, traveling and having a good time. Did that for one week. And then I went to the wedding and then I got drunk with all the boys and I spent three weeks on the piss and, and just, you know, we went to the full moon party and just like, you know, I had my bag stolen. I fucking got all my shit stolen swimming on the beach naked with some girl at 2am. You know, I had a fucking terrible time. I nearly got arrested in Thailand by the cops. Um, jumped out of a speedboat at fucking 120 k's an hour and had whiplash. Like I just fucking just did oh, dumb shit. shit. It's just, that's the, what I did. Like I was always doing shit like that. Um, and I, it was my last night in Thailand and um, I was alone and everyone had gone home and I got drunk and the voices started in my head, you know, like this, like you're a piece of shit. Like why are you here? Everyone's looking at you, blah, blah, blah. Like all these voices came up. It was three weeks of like no sleep, drugs, alcohol, women, you know, in Thailand so it was just a big come down it was a big realization and okay we'll tell the story so there was this little kid that was like a he must have been about eight I reckon um in Thailand he sells the lace you know like the little the necklaces and you know he would make them or whatever and he'd sell them on the beach for a dollar trying to trying to make money and two weeks before that when we were there I saw him uh, and he said something and he was being a smart ass. And so I was being a smart ass and I'm, he wasn't being a smart ass. I was probably being a smart ass and he was just being a smart ass back because dealing with some fucking arrogant white tourists, you know, like the, you see thousands of them. And I, I can't remember exactly the thing, but I remember like I was being a bit of a dick and he went to punch me and I moved and he hit the woman that was sitting next to me. And I laughed and I thought it's hilarious, you know, like I don't know how long I'd been awake by this stage. And it was this last night, so two weeks later, I'm back in the same place and I'm down on the beach and I'm on my own and I'm fucking, I've been to three bars and I haven't spoke to anyone and I'm fucking losing my mind. And I saw this kid, same kid, and he came, and he came over and um, we started talking. I, and I can't remember exactly how or what or where, but like, he was the only person all night who spoke to, you know, and in the state that I was in, like he probably saved my life, you know? And so we started talking and I apologized for being a wanker and I apologized for being a fucking arrogant white tourist in his, in his country. And I um, started asking him questions and find out who he was. And he lives at home with his grandma, who's too old to work. He's got two younger siblings. So he's trying to earn money to, to pay for them. And, you know, like, yeah, we can sit there and go, oh, it's the sob story they all tell you. And it's just like, there's something about this kid. He was not, he wasn't lying, right? And um, so we went to the shop and I was like, dude, 
you buy buy whatever the fuck you need to buy for your family. You know, like a, this is me and my remorse and trying to trying to give back. And um, and you know, he bought twenty kilos of rice. <laughs> like that was the first thing he went and bought was twenty kilos of rice. And then he bought his grandma's favorite yogurt. And then he bought his two younger kids their favorite lolly. And then he bought like some other ingredients. And I was like, dude, what are you buying for yourself? And he goes, no, no, I'm fine. I'm fine. This is for grandma. This is. And I was just like, fuck. And it just, it, it just broke. Like it was the, it was the final piece. You know, it broke. It broke my heart. Like it because of who I was. You know, I was like, not in that moment of like all the compounding things that I had done in my life that made me the man that I was that like we just have no fucking idea about people in the world, you know, and I was walking around thinking I was whatever. And, um, yeah. And anyway, you know, he got on a scooter and I, I gave the dude the money and he went home with all this food for his family. And I was just like, this, this is a, a piece. This is a part of who I am and who I want to be more into the world. And, uh, I came home from that, that trip and I quit my job out in the mines and that's when I started my around the world trip. And that's when I started to like, like that was the, that was the actual tipping point of you need to fucking change. Mm. Um, and I, and I want to change. And that, that emotion that was, I touched has driven everything from here on out. Wow, man. Wow. What a story. Uh, uh, where my mind goes to next is, is sort of how you got there in the first place. Um, you talked about mm -hmm. your relationship with your father or maybe your, your, your lack of relationship with your father and you sharing these kind of stories, by the way, just sort of a side note is so helpful for those viewers who are listeners who are experiencing something similar and to help break down your expertise to help, help them, you know, po point them in a direction of, of deeper fulfillment. Um, so if you wouldn't mind, if you could share a little bit about your upbringing and your relationship with your father, which I'm guessing, cause I've been in this space a little bit too, leaded to the feeling of emptiness and trying to, you know, trying to fill it with women and sex and adventure and all that other stuff, alcohol, et cetera. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> thanks. Um, yeah. It's, it, you know, like I said, I love my dad. He's still around. We have the best relationship we've ever had, you know, ever like, and it, and it continues to get better. Um, and so you know, I just, I just, I just want to frame that, you know, he's not a bad dude. He's not an asshole. I don't, I don't resent him at all. Um, and, and I don't, I try not to hold that frame for anyone, you know, and I see that everyone, every, basically there, everything comes from one of two, two places. It's either an act of love, meaning I'm full and I'm giving love from my full cup, or it's a call for more love, which means that I'm not full and I'm trying to get love, but I don't, maybe I don't know what that looks like. You know, some people can ask exactly for what they need and some people have no fucking idea. And so it comes through really unhealthy filtered ways. And I believe a lot of people live like that. You know, a lot of people live trying to get love, thinking that they're trying to give love, but it's actually a, a take instead of a give, mm -hmm. um, which I get, which I believe is true for a lot of entrepreneurs, which we'll get it, which we'll loop back to at the end of, it, of this bit. Um, my dad uh, is a rock, is the rock in our family and he's been there no matter what. And he, he has been able to provide and protect us through all things. The problem was he was only ever a rock, you know, and so rocks can be very uncomfortable sometimes if they're stuck in your shoe, <laughs> you know, and so 
while you always knew he was there. And, you know, we were at our best when I had fucked up. That was when he, that's like when I fucked up, when I got done drink driving three times and evading police, wrote my car off and, um, you know, uh, um, got done growing marijuana. And, you know, like when I had when I, all the times that I fucked up as an adult, you know, he never batted an eyelid. He, ne- he never like, you know, lost his shit at me. He made me feel bad. He never, it was like the, the badness or the wrongness or the darkness, if you will, was his comfort zone. And so he, he was very happy, not happy. He was very okay with, with, with that stuff. It was the other spectrum that he struggled with. It was the closeness. It was the softness. It was the compassion. It was the support. It was the, you know, it was the, the other areas that, um, he struggled with as as a man and so as any human especially a child we focus on the negative you know I focus on the parts that I didn't get and so therefore that's what I was longing for I was longing for appreciation I was longing for um to be told he was proud you know like that was my ultimate thing and I think that's true for nearly all men on the planet like we just want our fathers or other men or someone to be proud of us and we forget that our parents are human. You know, we think that they are the divine father, you know, like, no, no, but you're, you're the dad, you know, your dad. And we forget that dad is a human who also had another human dad, who also had another human dad and also has their own shit going on. And I'm sure you can experience this. You are a father, you know, for some mm-hmm. so you, there'll be flavors of that. Um, and so, you know, because there was certain, uh, emotional needs that I wanted and wasn't getting from my father. I was seeking it in other areas of, uh, from other men, you know? And so that came in the, in the place of like my football club, you know, AFL football over here in Australia. Um, so I was craving acceptance. I was just like, all right, well, how do I make these men proud of me? How do I find brotherhood? How do I find, you know, this, this men's group of, of people who love me and accept me. And then, you know, I noticed that like, Oh, when I do this thing, I get celebrated at the football club, you know? So when I have sex with a girl, when I run around the club with my, with toilet paper at my bum on fire, when I, you know, like whatever, like these little things, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I was, I was wild, man. I was a fucking wild kid. <laughs> and young man, even up until 28. Toilet paper, dude, that burns, are. that burns quick. It does. It does. Yeah. You got to run real fast. Yeah. <laughs> you got to move gotta quick. Yeah. Fast. Um, funny. And that's the fun of it, you know? So, but like, I, all behavior is learned behavior and it's reward and reward and punishment. And so when, when I was getting rewarded and, and celebrated by my peers, by other men and even some of my mentors and not mentors that, you know, I was paying whatever, but men that I looked up to as, you know, Oh, that's, that's the man that I want to be. So when I was celebrated for these little things, I kept doing, but then obviously what happens is the celebration for that thing. It doesn't, it's not the same. So then I had to find a new thing to get celebrated for. Like I had to, I had to get more celebrated. I had to get more love. I had to get more appreciation. I had to make sure that I was always the guy doing the thing. So it just evolves. You know, it's like watching porn. It's like you might watch porn to get excited and try and learn about sex. But then three years later, you're in some fucking dark porn caves watching some weird shit that you're like, how did I even get here? Because mm-hmm. the dopamine hit needs to get more intense. So that what you need in order to get aroused amplifies. It's the same concept, but with, with peer love you know and so um 
yeah, just everything that I did amplified. I just made everything bigger and, you know, 10X everything in the name of Grant, you know, Grant Cardone. Just 10X it, you know, get more love, more appreciation. Right. Um, and it just it led, led to really unhealthy behavior, you know. Um, uh, so, yeah, that was kind yeah. of, that's the long and short of it. Makes sense. You talked, uh, you alluded a minute ago of the giving um, as a form of taking and how entrepreneurs do that. So let's let's shift a little bit into some of the work that you're doing right now with entrepreneurs. Before actually before you answer that, if you could explain a little bit about like what is the outcome that these men are looking to achieve so we have a clear sense of what product essentially you're looking to develop in them. Sure. So it's it's love, right? And like I said, it's just love. We all are looking for love. When you're a child and you're born, you are the purest love that you'll ever be, right? And then we go on the journey of life. We learn all this stuff. And what happens is we kind of get disconnected from that love because, again, we get punished and we get rewarded based on what our parents perceive to be good and bad behavior. Um, so, you know, all of a sudden we get told off for crying. We get told off for being emotional. We get told off for, you know, um, making a mess in the kitchen. We get told for, like, whatever, you know, baby steps. But we just keep getting told off for things. So all of a sudden our natural expression is not love. It's like reward and punishment. And so then we go through life kind of trying to find love. It's like, well, if I get punished for this, that makes me contract. I don't want that. Oh, if I do this, I get a reward. So I'm going to keep doing this. I mean, how many times as a parent, you go, I'll give you some M&Ms or like you won't get dessert or like, you know, it's, it's so, we don't even realize, but it's so embedded in the way that we, and I'm not saying it's wrong or right. I'm just saying it's what is, you know, mm -hmm. like it's, it's what is. Mm -hmm. um, and so we are constantly searching for love, everything that we do is an act of love or, or is trying to get love in some way. And I think it takes a very, and so those people that aren't doing, you know, the people that go break against the curve, the people that do whatever they want, the people that can't stand out and wild, they could still be trying to get love, but they could be trying to also find love inside of themselves. And this is why I kind of love uh, creators and artists because, you know, they're trying to listen to something inside of themselves. So whether it's draw or write music or whatever, it's like, you know, why are you doing that? Go get a job. And they're like, no, no, this is what I need to do. Like, this is love moving through them. Um, now, that doesn't mean that they're still not trying to get love for what they're doing, but it's still an act of love. You know, they're doing it regardless of the outcome. They're not mm -hmm. doing it because or whatever. And so, you know, I was 26 25, I had two houses. I had a girlfriend. I had two dogs. Um, we renovated our home. We made what well, house. We made it a home. You know, I remember sitting on the couch at 25 and being like, "Is this it? Like, I've done everything people have told me to do. I've got a good job. I've got a girlfriend. I've got dogs. I've renovated a house. I bought two houses. You know, <clears throat> and yes, we can do more. Like, you can. I could buy more homes. Blah blah blah. <clears throat> Sorry, but I remember sitting on the couch going. Is this is this really it? Like, is mm -hmm. this it? Because I I ain't happy. Like, I'm not satisfied or fulfilled. If this is life, is this is what we're supposed to do? And um, I then went on a this sabotage, <laughs> unconscious sabotage process to destroy my entire life. Um, <laughs> yeah, I got involved with with the wrong people, and um, they come over to the house to threatening things, and my girlfriend left because she feels safe, which I, I can completely understand. Um, and then I lost a bunch of friends and then I lost the house and then I lost my dog. And then I, and so, you know, it was a very upsetting time. And I was only 26 at the time. So it was like, you know, 
still not having any ways to process emotions or deal with this shit, um, I didn't know what to fucking do. Uh, and that's what led me out to the mines. And then that led to more depression because it's not a healthy place out there at the best time. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, it's like, but ultimately all I was doing was trying to find love. I was trying to get love. And I thought by doing more, and this is what men do by doing more, by giving more, I'll get more love. Right. And so we, we see this big disconnection in men specifically, um, where, you know, a man's, the man is meant to be of service. The masculine energy is meant to be a provider, a service provider. I give, I give, I give. And we don't actually learn what fills us up. And so what happens is we keep giving, we keep giving, we keep emptying our cup. And some men do it for years and years and years. And then ultimately what happens is they break because they're empty and they've been giving from an empty cup for so fucking long Mm -hmm. and they're not doing anything or getting anything that actually nourishes them. I don't give a fuck if you earn $30 million a year. Your money is not going to bring you happiness if you actually don't know what makes you happy. I'm not saying money's evil and I'm not saying money can't make you happy. It can. De- I would rather be rich than be poor, absolutely. But if you don't actually know the things that nourish your soul and nourish your being that allow you to keep giving, then, then you're going to you're going to burn yourself out. And that's what I see in so many entrepreneurs. Like they chase the money. They deny their relationships because they're chasing money because they attach the money to success and the money to fulfillment and the money to value for them personally. And so they ignore their wife. They ignore their kids because they're focused on the legacy and emotionally they cut themselves off. You know, emotions don't belong in masculinity and emotions don't belong in business. Well, then where the fuck are all the emotions going? Because happiness and joy and uh, contentment, they're all emotions. So if you cut yourself off from one emotion, you're going to cut yourself off from all of them. Mm -hmm. And I'm not saying that, you know, all entrepreneurs need to become these super sensitive, like, you know, intuitive healers or anything like that. You just need to be able to know what makes you happy. And in order to do that, you need to know who the fuck you are. And that is a very, very deep question that actually takes time to unfold layers of conditioning that you've created for yourself. 100%. The embodied entrepreneur, once somebody goes through your work, what is the, what is the, um, like, what does that look like and sound like so that you would mm. know, Hey, that man is embodied and that man mm. is, is struggling. Like what, like tangibly, what are those things so that a man knows that he knows Yes, I've, that I am embodied now. Mm. Look, there's, there's, you know, uh, um, I guess it's like saying, how do you know when you're successful or when you're not successful? It, it's a feeling more than it is a, a, a tangible, like, well, feelings are tangible. Uh, it, it's not like a, a money, you know, it's like, oh, when I do 10 mil a year, I'm now successful. It's like, I don't think so. It's like when your uh, financial needs outweigh your financial sorry, when your financial income, your passive financial income outweighs your passive like outcome, like all your constant kind of bills and things, that's when you could claim success if you wanted to. Or when your company finally does 15% profit, net profit over 10 million a year or whatever, like that, you know, so there's, I guess there's keystones and that's different for everyone. Um, so, so for, let's say, embodied entrepreneurs come through my work, I've had men come in who, um, no longer like you know for example porn and sex is still a massive thing for a lot of men you know it doesn't matter how successful you are when the, when the negative stuff comes up their clutches everyone has their own clutch so you know maybe not watching porn not turning to porn maybe um not drinking alcohol 
outside of work, uh, inside work hours or, you know, not, not doing, like not using the things that they use to emotionally numb out the things in their life. Um, maybe it's, maybe it's like, oh, I'm embodied now because I actually get to feel joy when I'm with my kids rather than resentment because I feel like they're taking me away from my job, you know, like, mm-hmm. so the tangible results can be different for every individual because they come with their own, their own clutches, their own things that they want to beat. But yeah, like maybe it's, um, maybe it's having like pr- profound sex with their wife, you know, like they've been together 10 years, their, their sparks feels like it's gone. It hasn't gone. You just haven't been blowing on the embers. So, so there's no fire. Like it's, all it is you just need to blow on the embers a little bit more mate and put a bit of effort into it you know put some kindling on blow on the embers some fires will come start putting some more sticks on like it's very very easy if you want to create a bit more fire in your life and passion you just Mm -hmm. got to put a bit of effort into it so um yeah the tangible results no more drinking maybe no more drugs no more sex or better no more porn better sex um more joy and, and completion uh completeness feeling with your children or your family you know um, this is something that I, I bumped up against as well in my own personal journey. And I, to me, I call it, I called it the validation line. There was a point in my life where I recognized where I didn't feel like I was quote unquote enough. And so the internal dialogue was, um, am I good enough? Is, am I successful? Am I a failure? Am I a piece of shit? Am I this, that, or whatever? And so to me, while it isn't an intangible, cause it's an inside game, it's a mindset, um, there is a tangible uh, quality to it where you can definitively say, yes, I feel validated. I have validated myself. And a- as I've gone through my personal journey, once you kind of cross that line, it doesn't mean that you are, are going to be perfect for the rest of your life, that you're going to absolutely master every emotion or that you're, you know, a, a freaking um, stoic, uh, you know, stoicism exemplified. <laughs> But um, yep. it means that 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 the kernel, the core kernel of who you are and who and how you self-identify is I'm good enough. I, I might be a work in progress, but I'm good enough. And you can see that in men; they carry it. You can see it in the body language. You can see it in um, how they communicate. And so, to me, yep. that is a very tangible thing, although it is an inside game. But it's something that you could easily ask yourself and and know if it's Absolutely. there or not. And actually, when you were saying that, um, the biggest thing. I think the biggest tangible outcome is when people that have known you for a long time come to you and say, you've changed. What have you been doing? Because mm-hmm. they can feel it. Like it's tangible to them. It may not even be tangible to you yet, but they will come and be like, something's going on. You've changed. What, what, what have you been doing? You know, because you're smiling more, you're happier, you're giving more because you're not, you're not in a place of trying to get love. So, you know, you become less money focused and more value focused you become more process driven as opposed to goal orientated, you know, like all these types of things, you, you're just literally waking up with a bigger smile on your face every day and other people notice and you attract more shit in your life. Like that's when you Mm -hmm. become magnetic as opposed to, you know, that you don't, I'm not saying you don't go and get it, but but things come to you way more easily. Mm -hmm. Yes. Without a doubt. Um, I've been fascinated by this concept of sexual transmutation. I first came across it as many men have in that book, think and grow rich by Napoleon Hill. Um, I'm curious, uh, it is the, the foundation, at least humanly speaking of the masculine life force. Um, and it's, it trips us up. I I don't know a man who hasn't been tripped up by it. What advice can you give recommendations, et cetera, for somebody who's struggling with, uh, either porn addiction, sex addiction. Um, and and I, I think that that's a very broad 
broad thing to state because sometimes it turns into, for example, there's a lot of men who, and I've been guilty of this myself too, where um, they put the they put the women in their life as the primary objective, as the primary goal, as the pr- her happiness, as opposed to a sense of purpose and found you know um, anchoring himself in that. So anyway, for those that are struggling with addictions and and relationships, what kind of advice or recommendations can you give? Yeah, look, like I said, when I was out in the mines, I used to jerk off four times a day the morn, you know, and all day, every day, like every day, every day. And it, I realized like, wow, I couldn't get an erection without porn or a woman, you know, it had to, had to have some external stimulation. And, um, you know, like I could, I could reel off a bunch of books, like there's um, Man Tech Cheers, Multi-Orgasmic Man, which I think is a great book uh, for men to learn and understand their own sexual energy. Um, but it's like biting your fingernails, you know, it's like, it's just one of those habits that we can have, you know, um, when we want to masturbate or when we want to have sex or when we want to watch porn, we are generally trying to numb out an emotion. There is a feeling of something and we are trying to not feel that thing. So we try to distract ourselves. Um, and I am pro ejaculation. Like I hear a lot of, you know, uh, I watched it, listen to the other podcasts with, uh, that the other guy that was talking about sexual Tyson. life force. Tyson, that's right. And and I've been in the tantric world for a couple of years now, and there is a lot of dogma in some of the tantric circles around like a man should not ejaculate because it's pure life force and you're wasting your energy. And it's like there is a lot of truth in that. And if you've been doing it on a regular basis of like, you know, every day or twice a day for a number of years, to expect yourself to just go cold turkey and, and not do it all of a sudden, you know, is is kind of stupid. And it's not like it's uh, smoking or jabbing needles in your arms. It's not like it's not actually killing you in a sense of um, it's it, like it's it's not as healthy as it could be for sure, but it's a habit that we, we need to do. And especially men in their 20s and 30s, it's actually really healthy to come. It's really healthy to ejaculate. So again, it's more of a like, okay, where is this a crutch? Like where do I use it as a thing to escape from? And can I just curb it a little bit you know and if i'm not going to do it what am i going to do instead of that time um like i it took me probably 18 months to learn how to have a full body orgasm without ejaculation purely because i would not fucking talk to anyone about it i never sought help i never had a conversation i never i never did anything about it other than read my own books do my own practice fuck up shame myself loop again in the shame spiral and, and you know it took me a long long time and the guys that come through that have come through some of my older programs within a month, they're having full body orgasms because they've got the guidance and the practice and the tools and the support um, in order to achieve that. And we don't know what we don't know. So if you think the greatest pleasure you've ever experienced is uh, a four minute, you know, porn session jerking off or even a one, uh, you know, like a, a 20 minute lovemaking session with your wife, I'm here. I can tell you from my own personal experience and all of my clients, there's so much more and, and it's like fucking beyond your wildest dreams. I'm talking like lightning bolts and toe curlings and like fucking animal howls and like, you know, weird shit that you never <laughs> even fucking thought of. And when you've had an experience like that, it's really hard to go back to, yeah. to dry, dry granita biscuits, you know, like you've got, you've got, <laughs> you've got, to, you've got to, it's like, fuck man, I can't, I just had a, a meal prepared by a fucking, the best chef in the world. I can't go back to McDonald's anymore. Um, and so, you know, yeah, the, 
ask a question, read a book. Like there's so much, there's a guy called Sexual Kung Fu on Instagram. He's, he's phenomenal. You know, he gives really sound advice. Um, but it, that like when I started to change my attached beliefs of sex and sexuality and what it was and what it meant for me, everything else changed. Yeah. Sexual transmutation, it's potent. Like we create babies with our semen. That's how strong our semen is. Like you create life. That's literally the most magic thing on the planet right now. Like we still don't actually know how it happens other than, you know, semen penetrates the egg and then there's a fertilization. Like we, we, we know a fair bit. We know how it works. Like we know how to do it, but we don't necessarily know the science. Like why, how does that work? What's the chemical thing that happens? And so when you just jerk off in a soccer in the shower, like that's life force. That's literally a human being, potential human being that you are uh, giving away to, to nothing. So it's like, if you're not creating life, what are you creating with that energy? That's the way I frame it. So I'm pro-ejaculation. I think we should do it, you know, still do it, but do it with intention, do it with purpose. And, and I guarantee you, if you eat your favorite burger every day for three months, it's no longer your favorite burger. But if you tease yourself with that burger and you eat it every now and again, it tastes so much better. And that's mm-hmm. the way I kind of like to look at it. That's a good point. Um, you talked a minute ago about um, porn and jerking off being a mask for uh, an unmet emotion underneath. Can you give a case sample of that, maybe uh, from a client or yourself, even of yeah, what yeah. that actually looked, what to walk us through that scenario? Sure. So, you know, um, I'll, I'll use me as an example. Um, uh, but, but I, you know, I had a, I had a couple of clients, like one client used to jerk off 15 times a day, you know, it was, uh, 15 times, you know, I'm just like, wow, man, do you have anything left? Like, how do you even, seriously, you know, like it was, yeah, like that's phenomenal. I was kind of, I was kind of impressed. Um, <laughs> and it's like, it, it's a procrastination, right? Like it doesn't matter whether it's checking your phone on Instagram or, or, or jerking off and watching porn, like you are disassociating from yourself to put your attention on something else. Um, so like for myself, I um, was so in my pain, right? Like I was out in the mines, I was depressed. I was so much in my pain body all the time. I was like constantly, you're alone. No one loves you. Like you've got to go to the gym. You've got to get bigger so that you can get more love. You've got to earn more money so that you can get more love. You've got to be more than what you are in order to be loved. Um, and what I find is that, you know, when we're growing up and we find porn and there's no education around sex and men's sexuality is a very shame topic, right? Like it's like, you know, oh, you're a fucking dirty pig or blah, 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 blah. Um, porn gives us a sense of uh, shamelessness. It's like, oh, look, there are people doing a thing that I want to do and they're doing it shamelessly, you know? And so we actually attach a positive emotion to porn. It's like, a sense of liberation, a sense of shamelessness, a sense of like acceptance. And so, you know, if, if um, something outside of us is, is giving us a negative association. So like, you know, our partner shames us for not taking the bins out or fucking you know, saying a word, like, you're such a fucking pig, you know, like, or whatever, like just these little undercurrent things that happen in relationships. It's a contraction in our system. It's like, fuck, I don't want to feel negative. I want to feel positive. Um, we're what humans we're wired for pleasure we want to feel pleasure and so we turn to porn because porn it has a positive association even if we're not going to jerk off just watching it is a positive association it's a dopamine hit it's like oh arousal you know 
Um, but what happens is we train ourselves to now be aroused only by an external stimulation, not by a physical stimulation. And so we're literally wiring our brain to be aroused by a vision or a fantasy as opposed to, oh, I'm touching my body or someone's touching my body and now I'm aroused. And this is why men struggle with ED or PE, like erectile dysfunction or premature ejaculation, or even not being able to come. And maybe they can get hard but can't come because to come, they've got to be in a fantasy. To come, they've got to be in this like heightened kind of not in their body. Um, and so they're actually very disconnected to their bodies and mm. to their cocks. And so it's a real disembodied practice because they're not, they're not feeling an emotion. And the first practice I get a lot of guys to do no porn, no sex, no masturbation, no kissing, no touching, no nothing, just for one week. And self-pleasure every day for 20 minutes without touching your dick. And so, like, you know, these men just go, like, what? Because we don't have that. So, like, so for 20 minutes a day, they've got to sound, breathe, and move and, like, explore their whole body as if it's, as if it's new again. And they, you know, tell me about your body. Like, where did you learn? What do you like? What don't you like? Like, dude, 20 minutes is a long time. I couldn't. I put the timer on my phone. I had like, I got frustrated and angry. I was like, yeah, all those emotions that you're feeling doing that is what you suppress every time you just quickly turn the porn or, or jerking off. Hmm. So like that, you've got to have the experience to understand it. Basically, it's like it's hard to explain verbally. But if I if I share that, like 20 minutes of just sitting there and touching your body and sounding and breathing and and getting getting trying to get excited. You come up against fear. You come up against rejection. You come hmm. up against shame. You come up against invalidation. You come up against like uh, frustration, jealousy, insecurity. Um, yeah. So, so that's those emotions. Those emotions are what you are denying and suppressing just by quickly going abroad. Dude, that's fascinating. Um, it, it's really refreshing to hear you talk about this because a lot of men in this space uh, associate so much shame with um, pornography. This is how bad you are is what it's, you know, this is what the Bible says is it's a, there's a religious connotation to it that um, you're bad, you're wrong for it. Um, Mm. Embracing that shadow and integrating it, at least in my opinion and in my experience has allowed me to move through it, to get to the other side, Mm. not to say Mm. that there aren't trip ups or still challenges or whatever, but um, you, (laughs) you were saying just a few minutes ago and you started to really light up about what guys are missing. And to me, that's, uh, that is a message that is often communicated. Can you uh, expand Mm. on that a little bit and, and maybe share with us the first time that you, you realize, oh, this is so much more dynamic and so much bigger and expansive than what you thought it was before. Like I said, it took me about 18 months, which is a really fucking long time, you know, to like, uh, yeah, because I was too afraid to talk to anyone. And the fact that I can get my clients there in a month now, I, I love it. You know, I love the fact. That, and don't get me wrong, these men are braver than me because they're actually seeking external support. And I didn't do that. You know, I was so fucking shamed and afraid that I, I you know, that I wouldn't pay someone or even talk to someone about it, let alone fucking pay someone and, and seek actual support. So I want to firstly commend all of my clients and any other man that, that reaches out and does that because you are a brave, brave man because we have so much notion around if I'm not good in bed, I'm not a man. You know, there's so much stuff around being a man and being good in bed or good at provider or good anything, you know. So any man that gets support in any area, I, I, I respect um but yeah it's like so i remember the first time i was um i was at a festival 
and I had ejaculated for a little while. Um, so I, I kind of got on top of that and we were, we were just kissing. And then we started to like, you know, undulate our bodies and move and kind of grind on each other. And I was, I was dressed. I wasn't dressed. I had pants on. She had her under, underwear on and we started to kiss. And then like, you know, I started to grab her hair and her body and she would touch me and grab me. And it was just like, you know, being able to sit in that. So she was on a period at the time. So we weren't going to have sex because we didn't want to make a mess. Um, and because we weren't going to go any further and I had got really comfortable with not having to go further. Right? Like I, I was like, I don't have to have sex, which is a massive thing because most men, because we train ourselves to come, therefore we need the end result. So because I was happy in the, the place that I was in, um, it was like it allowed so much more energy to move because I wasn't trying to get anywhere. I wasn't, I wasn't trying to go further. And so, you know, she started to scratch me and grab me and I was the same. And then all of a sudden, like my body started to convulse and I was like, holy fuck, I don't know what's going on, you know? And, and I kept breathing and she kept breathing and we were breathing together. And then like, we're still kissing and like, I don't know what happened, but like my, my body started to I'm shaking, just doing it. Like my spine started to and shaking. And then all of a sudden the undulation that I was doing on purpose, I wasn't doing it on purpose. I couldn't control it anymore. And like, I would, like, I just, I, I freaked, like I wigged out for a little while and I just surrendered because I kind of knew the concept of it, but I had never experienced it before. And so, I don't know, 15 minutes later, 20 minutes, I don't know, I lost track of time. I don't know how long it was. It could have been three minutes, but it felt like fucking 20 minutes. Mm-hmm. Um, we kind of slowed down and we calmed down and I was still shaking a little bit and she was like, that was great. And I was like, I think that was my first orgasm without coming. I was like, holy shit, that was amazing. And um, so like that was my first time and I was like, so I then, I kind of, in typical masculine tradition, I became addicted to that. Then. You know, I was like, that was phenomenal. I want to, how do I do that more often, you know? Right. And, um, and I did, you know, so I went on this retreat uh, a couple, a year later or six months later, and I had a, I had a fucking a whole nother experience. I was like, it just left that one for dead. So I was, again, with another woman who had, you know, been doing tantra and stuff, and we had a, a no, we weren't having sex, but we, you know, we were naked and there was lots of other stuff. She gave me this epic cock worship that I'd never had before. And um, I did ejaculate with her on purpose, like with intention. And it had been, a, a, you know, a while and we'd, we'd run lots of energy together. We'd been sexual many, many times, but never had sex and, you know, never ejaculated. And so when she was telling me she wanted me to come, she was begging me to come and I came I can't like I thought my I thought my head was gonna blow off like I fucking dead set thought like I was gonna explode from the inside out. It was phenomenal. And um anyway, I roared and screamed and yelled and she wanted it and loved it. And then like, you know, afterwards, like my whole body, they call it a kundalini awakening, right? Like it's in the in the tantra spiritual space. And so my whole body was shaking and like I laid on her and then I like literally got bounced off. Like I didn't know what happened, but I bounced off, I fell off the bed. Uh, well, it was a mattress on the floor and I like, I couldn't stop shaking. And I was like, every time she looked at me, it would get more intense. I was like, so looking at me. So she was like, okay, I'm sorry. She look at the sky. And then I don't know what happened. I fucking zonked out a little bit. And then I came back and I, you know, I was still shaking, still convert, convulsing. And I kind of looked at her and then we, you know, we exchanged and I was like, what happened? She's like, I don't, I don't know what happened, but I've never seen anything like that before, you know? And uh, apparently I was gone for like 25 minutes just in this like orgasmic wild state of bliss, you know? And 
it's not going to happen every time. And it's, you know, it's a pretty out there experience and, you know, you, you can't really, you, you can help it happen. Like you can do practices to support it, but if you're aiming for it, it's never, it's never going to work. You know, it's the same, same type of thing, but um, having experiences like that, it just showcased to me. I'm like, this thing is, you know, there's like lightning bolts in my head and visions and shapes and colors. And, and like, I wasn't, I didn't care. I didn't care about anything. I came out of that. I was just like, all I want to do is give love to the whole fucking world and not, mm. not to sex. I mean, I just want to, I was so full. I was like, all I want to do is give love. I don't need anything from anyone, anywhere, anytime. I was the fullest I've ever been ever. And so I really believe that a healthy self-pleasure practice, because you can do that on your own, which I learned to do is, is the way to fill your own cup constantly mm. and then be able to give to the world from a full cup all the time. Dude, that was fascinating. A um, couple of questions just for clarification. You had no, there was no uh, external substance involved, correct? No, no mushrooms or LSD or okay. Or I just nothing. Want, it, want that to be clear for the record. Um, yep. And then also, do, do you have to have a partner that can reciprocate? I think it, it does make it easier uh, because, you know, like, we are our own worst enemy, right? So like if I'm on my own, I'm going to come up with a bunch of stories of why I can't, why I shouldn't, why I should stop, you know. Um, it's the hardest thing for a man to do is make noise when he's in pleasure. Um, you know, it's just the thing that every woman, I've, I've got 50,000 followers on social, between my social media accounts and 70% of them are women. And they all, like every time I ask them, they love it when men make noise. And why don't men make noise? Because when we're jerking off and we're 13 in our bedroom, it's like, you know, mum and dad are walking down the hallway. We don't want to make any noise. We, you know, and we train ourselves like that. So, But it, um, but isn't that the same for women too growing up? Yep. 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 But as, as, you know, if you watch porn, women make a lot more noise, you know, and a lot of women do watch porn. And so I, I, you're completely correct. And, at some point, it is definitely more acceptable for women to make noise during sex than men. Um, but yes, we everyone contracts, you know, and that's the secret. Part of the secret is sound, breath, and movement move energy, whether you whether it's an emotion or whether it's pleasure. So to be contracted and not breathe and not sound, you're not moving, you're not breathing, you're not making noise. So you're not moving that much energy. So your orgasm is very, very limited to the potential that it could be mm. when you are open and you're breathing and making noise and moving your body so much more energy can flow and that's when you can have your non-ejaculatory orgasms or your or your profound massive wild you know ejaculatory orgasms because you are allowing more energy to move right um, when you're when you are um with a partner like that is it um is this somebody who has also quote-unquote done the work to um, face their own, you know, inner demons to move beyond that, et cetera. Uh, and sort of to supplement that question, how much of that is also just chemistry? Just that you, you just vibed with a person. And, and, in other words, could you meet somebody at one of these practices and not necessarily have chemistry, but create that between each other, even though you don't yes. have chemistry? Yes. Or you, yeah, yes, you can. So let me frame it in the, con I'll frame it in business to give you a kind of uh, the way that maybe you everyone's brain might digest it better if i uh teamed up with a multi-millionaire business person we could create a business that made that was very successful easier than me and someone else who's never created the business that that does 10 million a year right if two 
people, two business people that both have 10 or $20 million businesses team up together, the chance, the likelihood of them creating a business that's going to be super profitable is much higher, mm. right? And if two people, yeah, so it's same context, right? Like, yes, done the work, face your demons, embodied some tantric practices, master of their sexual energy. Two people that have already on that path are going to be able to do it much, much quicker, much easier because they've already got the tools, the practices, the know-hows. Two people that haven't done it can still do it. It's going to require a little bit more effort, a little bit more work, probably need a mentor or probably need someone in there to help guide them. Um, so it's the same context, right? Like, and, and yes, I've been out, I can do this with men and women and old people and young people. Like there's no, because I've become a master of my own energy source. So it's like, I don't, I don't, it doesn't matter who's in front of me. The difference the difference is we usually do this through a personal connection. And this is what we call chemistry. It's like, oh, I'm physically attracted to you. I'm sexually aroused by you. There is something about you that creates a spark. And, you know, so so that's like a this personal thing because I see the world through my personal lens of my own pain, my own vision, version of attractiveness, my own whatever. When you can drop the personal and come from a place of like, let's say transpersonal or soul or spirit or whatever, that's when you can do it with anyone. Like that, that's when you have the capacity to be able to, um, yeah, cre- cre- and, and I'm not saying, you know, have sex. I'm just saying create a space of like openness and non-resistance to anyone of any race, gender, size, shape, whatever, because you're not coming through the personal lens of what you find attractive. You're starting to touch, to, to tap into this person as a soul, as an energy body, as a, as a whatever. Um, and, you know, that's, that's a deeper layer of work and not everyone wants to go there and not everyone has to go there, but that's what the more deeper tantric practices are. It's like, mm-hmm. you know, how do you, how do you remove the lens of, Oh, I find you attractive. Therefore this is easy. Um, yeah. Um, with respect to the entrepreneurs that you work with, what do you find is the biggest roadblock, the biggest sticker point that they have mm-hmm. when they come to work with you? Uh, good question. If I, trying to like you know like i said everyone has their own stuff but ultimately um it's this it's the same as everyone it's a worthiness piece you know it's like probably the biggest thing is they think they're giving when actually they're trying to get you know they're mm-hmm. trying to they're trying to receive but they think they're giving and so they're like i'm adding all this value i'm giving i don't know why people aren't either coming or i don't know why my wife isn't happy or i don't know you know there's a there's a disconnection between they're giving but actually what they're trying to do is receive and they haven't worked out that that piece yet um, dr robert glover in his book no more mr guy nice guy talks about hidden contracts where it's mm-hmm. a it's a subconscious oftentimes a subconscious desire to get when on the surface you validate and justify it as i'm giving all this like you said i'm giving all this value how come i'm not getting it in return etc but yeah mm-hmm. um that's a that's a massive energy uh conflict it's like you yep. got your foot on the brake and the accelerator at the same time we think about it like if, um, you know, uh, if I'm in a relationship with my wife, I don't have a wife, but let's say I have a relationship with a wife and I'm giving to the relationship, right? Like I'm like, I'm paying the rent. I'm typical. Let's just look at a very typical male, female relationship. I'm working hard. I'm paying the rent. I pay for the schooling. I pay for the things. I show up. I take the kids to, to sport. I'm, you know, I'm doing all these things. I'm giving to the relationship. I don't feel like I'm getting anything. I'm not appreciated, I'm not valued. I'm not this, I'm not that. The woman, I look after the kids every day. I make their lunches. I cook our dinners. I blah, blah, blah. I do the washing. I clean the house. I, I'm giving, I'm giving, I'm giving. 
and I don't feel like I'm respected. I'm not taking out, you know, I, I don't, we don't go on dates anymore. We don't blah, blah, blah. So it's like both people feel like they're giving, but no one feels like they're receiving. So it's like, that's when you can start to identify. It's like, oh, firstly, the two of you are talking to each other. So, so you actually don't know what you need in order to feel nourished in a relationship. So that's problem one. Problem two, you're giving what you think the relationship needs rather than or what the relationship wants rather than what the relationship needs. So it's mm-hmm. like, yeah, you're doing those things. Absolutely. Good on you. And sometimes that's all we need. Both people feel underappreciated, but it's like asking the other person how they feel and what they need in order to feel full and nourished and respected and seen. Like that's, that's like, that's the biggest issue I see in so, so many relationships. And it's so simple to solve. Like just I've, having a conversation and understanding the other person. A hundred percent. And I find that, at least in my experience, most often than not, the person themselves doesn't even know how to articulate what their needs are, number one. Yeah. And then if if they can, their capacity to receive is often blocked by all the subconscious whatevers. Um, and so how do you open that channel up? How do you help somebody um, identify what they're needing? And then two, how, how do you help them open up that channel so that they can actually receive yeah so yeah receiving comes from worthiness right like if you don't feel like you're worthy then you're not going to allow yourself to receive stuff you know if i sit here and give you love peter and just tell you that you're fucking awesome and i think you're amazing and this you know you're going to be able to receive as much of that as you can up until the point that you no longer feel worthy of that much love in which and then you're going to start pushing against it especially if you don't know me because it's like well if i knew if we knew each other better you probably receive it better because there's like more justification for that, that love. But we're so not used to just receiving unconditional love from people that it's like, uh, no, 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 there's, there's, there's got to be a hook in here somewhere. Mm-hmm. So, um, but that's where the deeper work starts, right? To go back on your question, that's where the deeper work starts. It's like, okay, where are your blocks to receiving? So that's where we would start to um, work on the identity, right? Because everything is wrapped around identity, who you think you are and what you think you're worthy of. So breaking down the identity, I don't believe in personal development. I only believe in personal dissolution, right? The dissolvement Mm. of the personality. Mm. Because what's beneath that is you are everything and you deserve everything that you want. Mm -hmm. And so it's not about developing yourself. It's about dissolving yourself. Um, in, In my opinion, you know, I had to break down my identity in order to be happy with realizing that I am so much more than what I thought. Um, so yeah, it's like, that's where the work starts. So, you know, journaling, like journaling who you are, what, what lights you up, what your values are. Um, I've got a bunch of clearing methods. I do, um, something called the spiral, which was invented and created by my brother, Dane Thomas, who's known in some of the circles over there in, in America. Um, so, you know, that that's when we go into the, we go into the chakra system when we identify like some root emotional blocks and then where they, when they were created and how they were created, then we do some processes to remove them. So that's like, cool. What happens if that's not your reality? What if you were allowed to do this? You know, and we implement some, implement some new belief patterns. Um, yeah. You know, but like inner child works really good for, for healing that stuff. Like, you know, where you were not allowed to be loved or you with love was taken away from you. You go back, you find those places, you give them love, you rewrite the story. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, things like that. Can you give a case study of a client that you've worked with, um, where they were when they came with you, what happened, and then ultimately what were the the manifestations, the results that they got after having worked with you? 
Sure. Um, which one to pick? <laughs> uh, there was my, my favorite is probably, uh, his name is Josh Tom and, um, he doesn't mind me using his name cause, uh, he, he's been okay with it. He was, um, He's, a, he's an Australian. Uh, he's a, he owns a construction company. Still works on the tools, but he owns a construction company. Um, he had a DV order put on him, domestic violence, had his kids taken away from him. Um, you know, so the, the cops came, arrested him in front of his children, and uh, mm. he was smoking a lot of ice as well. And um, when he had his kids, he was, he was amazing. You know, the moment his kids went and spent time with their mum, he would, that's when he would smoke ice. That's when he would loop. That's when he would go out and drink and, and, you know, um, was really, was a really angry man, you know, and he, he's a, you know, New Zealander, Maori looking dude. He's got tats. He's big. He's, you know, um, very, very intimidating man. When, if he was angry, you know, like I would, I would imagine. So he saw one video, um, after the DVO orders, like I need to change something because I don't want my kids taken off me. He's like, I can't handle it. Um, rang me up. We did one call. He bought my program. That was a four month program at the time. And he came through and, um, he has not touched ice since that phone call. Not once at all. Um, he has made more money in his company. He has created a better work environment for all of his employees. His, his company has grown. He does a daily gratitude on Instagram every day and does all gets all the boys in the, in the workspace to do it as well. Um, he has healed the relationship with his ex-girlfriend, with the mother of his children. So they were going through court and everything. They couldn't, they couldn't text message or email each other because they're just, they were just emotions were just fucking fire and spark. Mm-hmm. Um, they now have family holidays together, all four of them. They all go away on family holidays and spend time together. And um, I have not seen that man stop smiling for the last year and a half, basically. It's like he he's he's one of my biggest fans and I was and, and one of my best friends now, you know, like we still never met in person because we live the opposite side of Australia. But um mm-hmm. v- very, very occasionally there are a couple of clients that that remain in your life afterwards, you know, and um he's one of them. And uh phenomenal turnaround, you know, like just oh what was the breakthrough? Phenomenal. Um so there was a there was a moment he was in Perth around his family and he rang me um they were asking some questions and he he had seen that he had started changing. Like he stopped being angry, right? He learned how to release all this anger and, and process all his like hatred towards people mostly, you know, like it was, there was family stuff there. There was women stuff there. Um, you know, he came through the program as an attorney afterwards as well. So I, I you know, it's, it was only four months long then. Um, but I realized that four months wasn't enough time. Like it is for a lot of guys, but also like to embed real change, it, you know, so I let guys come back as a returnee to support new guys coming through. And he came through and um, he he actually mastered the sexuality piece the second time around. So the first time around, he really got on top of his emotions and learned like learned lots of letting go practices. We did a bunch of visualizations and meditations to open the heart. So he got in touch with his emotions, realized that they're not bad. He taught all the emotional processing to his kids. He shared the journey with his kids, which was massive. Mm-hmm. So, you know, um, when they got angry, he would be like, cool, let's go. Let's punch pillows. Let's whatever. And he would do it with them. So, you know, it was no longer, he didn't shame his kids' emotions because he didn't shame his emotions. Mm-hmm. And all of a sudden there's like lots of switches happened. And when he didn't shame his emotions, then he no longer shamed his ex, his ex-girlfriend's emotions or other guys at work or whatever. And, um, you know, now he's studying nutrition. Um, 
he's 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 had a massive shift he's still working um but yeah he's like you know on mission on purpose um but the second time he came through he mastered the sexuality piece like he'd never had before he was just like you know he started to have the full body orgasm and the, the, the lightning bolts and he's like dude this is fucking crazy oh my god like oh, this, I, you, you told me about it but I didn't actually think it was I was like yeah yeah man it's fucking wild so yeah now it's like he's hell bent on on helping men now you know like he's just like he can't he can't not do it that's beautiful um how do you are you good on time do you we still have a yeah, few man, I, got, I, I got time. Yeah. Okay. How do you, how do you help someone get to that? How do you help someone get to the lightning bolts? Well, um, you know, like group group is always great because what it does is it normalizes, um, the, the expansion process, right? Like, you know, I'm in a business mastermind and I guess working one-on-one with someone is great because, you know, they can give me unique specific tips and points, but when I'm in a group, I can ask the group for support and advice and I get so much more information. So um, the group process helps regulate the idea and implement the new beliefs that what we're doing is normal and okay. And like, so that embeds this, this foundation of I'm not some weird freak, right? Because that's what we tend to think. Then typically speaking, yeah, you, you practice and patience. You know, it's just like, practice makes permanent it doesn't make perfect so if you practice something that's poor you will become a permanent habit of permanent poor habit um some guys take longer than others for for the lightning bolt full body orgasm it really depends on um their commitment to the process and how much they can surrender because it's actually a state of surrender it's a state of letting go like if you don't believe that you can have an orgasm without ejaculating you won't because you know it's like if you don't believe that you can run a million million dollar company you won't like, so you've got to instill the belief um, and then do the work, you know, and, and that's, that's where we go. So being in the group, seeing other people do it can motivate you, you know, the healthy competition. It's like, oh, I want to do that. So, you know, you stay committed to the path, but ultimately it comes down to how much you can surrender. And if you master your own self-pleasure practice, like, you know, he started to achieve it with a woman, but it was an act of will of like, we're not going to have sex, you know, same thing. They didn't have sex when he started to experience it. It was the the physical, like, you know, almost, 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 but no, but almost, but no. And like not having to get to the sex part, that's, that was the trigger point. And I think that's the biggest part. So one of the practices I get them to do after a little while is to self-pleasure with their partner, because then they're in control of their own energy and she's in control or they, if it's the same sex couple, they are in control of their own energy, but you're still using each other as like a, an arousal portal. So, you know, if two people are together, it's much easier to get aroused than on your own um, and to heighten that arousal. And like, it becomes fun because you're like, you know, it, it, like actually the pleasure is in the, the orgasm comes before the ejaculation. That's the, actually the secret. Mm. We think it comes with the ejaculation, but it actually comes before. And um, when you finally realize that and you start to like, Oh, oh my God. Oh yes. Like that's, that's the orgasm, the peak, the, the ejaculation is the peak, which is awesome. But then you get the low. Whereas if you stay in that kind of like undulating, Oh my God, this is amazing. It's called edging, right? It's that, that's mm-hmm. where the orgasm lies. And that's where you can have 10, 20, 30, 40 minute, if not longer orgasms, if you train yourself to stay there. Mm. Um, yeah. Fascinating. Do you have a spiritual practice? 
what's spiritual and what's not spiritual, Peter. Exactly. So uh, um, I'm assuming that you, you, you don't have a um, denomination that you. Oh, right. No. Um, I, you know, if I had to pick one, yeah, if I picked one, I would, I would like to pick Buddhism. I think Buddhism is probably the cleanest one that I have experienced, but it doesn't include sexuality, which I'm not for. I'm very pro-sexuality. I think, you know, our life force is our, is this the fucking juice of life? And I think to shut that off is, you know, or redirect it. I know they say, they talk about redirecting. Um, but I, you know, I live in the world. I like to have sex. I like women. I like to, you know, I, I want my wife. I want to have kids. So it's not something that I want to shut down. And actually when I'm vibrating ecstasy and pleasure, like fucking the world is magic, you know, like I mm-hmm. watch the sunrise and be like, oh my God, it's beautiful. And I can swim in the ocean and be like, oh my God. So I don't have a denomination, but I love the way that Buddhists teach and preach. I like their, their framework. Yeah. Interesting. Um, you talked a lot about breath work. Um, and so that was partly why I was curious, um, meditation, Mm -hmm. that, that, Mm -hmm. that sort of things, where have you learned that? Yeah. So I, I went and lived in a Buddhist monastery, uh, for a little while on my trip. Um, that was in Northern England, funny enough. Um, but the they're scattered all around the world. Um, I went and did a 900 hour yoga teacher training in Mumbai in India. Um, oh, wow. so we did a lot of breath work, a lot of meditation, a lot of, um, stuff there. Um, I've been on shamanic journeys doing, you know, shamanic breath work, holotropic breath work. Um, I'm not a, I'm not a practitioner in those areas, but I've been doing breath work for a long time. So, you know, I guide some of my, my people through, through breath work practices. Um, uh, yeah, and meditation, like I like, like I said, lived in the Buddhist monastery and also with yoga and just my own stuff. Um, I mean, Dr. G, uh, D. Martini is, is phenomenal. His, his meditations uh, are, are profound. Um, but also, like, I went and studied at mystery schools and um, and those mystery schools is probably another podcast, but uh, their concept is studying the soul and, um, you know, astrology and cosmology and tantra and all these things put together. So... Um, we did, we did some very deep meditations in those living retreats, um, as well, you know, uh, so yeah, you know, like I wouldn't say there's been one sect. I'm more of a, like, let me, let me go to the buffet and try all the different meals. And then, you know, if I like one, then I'll go spend a bit more time digesting that. Uh, I've noticed the tattoo on your hand. It's an elephant, correct? The Hindu. Yeah. it's, It's Ganesh. And what's the significance of that to you? Um, Ganesh is like, <laughs> so I'm a bit, in NLP terms, I'm a mismatcher, which means that I like to, you know, if someone has a belief, I like to counter it with the opposite or, you know, whatever. Um, and when I was in India and everyone that I kind of was associated with, everyone loves Shiva, right? Like Shiva is the God. He's the, he's the masculine, the divine masculine of, of Hindu. And um, Ganesh is like his, his, his big fat brother, um, but has, has a lot of awesomeness around him, you know, like he's the remover of obstacles. He's also, he also puts obstacles in your way. Right. Um, he loves candy, which I like candy too. You know, um, (laughs) he's, he's smarter. Like Ganesh is one, like he's, he's slower, but he's smarter. He doesn't work hard. He works smart. Mm. And so, um, yeah, Ganesh represents kind of that for me. And, to have him on my, my middle finger, um, you know, like, I don't know. I just kind of, I think it's quite symbolic. Um, 
yeah, the removal of obstacles is probably the biggest thing that I love about it. It looks cool. For those that are just listening, uh, Tyron's got a tattoo on, on the top of his hand, but the trunk of the elephant goes down his middle finger, which is kind of cool. Um, yeah. Oh, I was just going to say, I was enjoying the sunlight coming in the back. Oh, I, can, you. I can, I can, <laughs> I've been watching this. Oh, it's all good. I've been watching the sunrise. It's sort of a, a poetic, uh, <laughs> bookend to this conversation conversation. Yeah. Um, with that in mind, what is the impact that you seek to create in the world? What, what does success look like to you? Uh, what does, uh, the embodiment of the embodied entrepreneur look like to you? Mm, great question. Um, I actually answered this the other day to someone, they asked me, and it was probably the first time I really articulated. It was like, we, we blame greed for a lot of problems in the world, right? Uh, there's a lot of people that blame greed, that blame money, that blame specifically men's desire for money. Um, as, as the reason the world is, is a bit fucked up and it's not, not true, but again, let's ask the why, like, where does that come from? And again, if it's, if it's the same context that we've been talking about all all session, Peter, which is like, men are trying to get love. Um, what happens when all the men and women, obviously there are lots of female entrepreneurs, but I work with men. What happens when the money earners, the people that are earning big money in the world, what happens when they're embodied and in touch with their emotions and they have an open heart and they're no longer trying to get love. They are purely only trying to give love. You know, what happens when like, yes, we can, we can try to create systemic change from coming from the ground up. What happens when you plug in at the top and you come down? Like what happens when, you know, you you look at Simon Sinek, Tony Robbins, um, you know, uh, who else is there? Gary Vanderchuk, you know, like all these, even Grant Cardone to some extent, like all these these big shape movers and shakers that are now at the top of their field, bringing compassion, empathy, wholeness, you know, like even Google to some extent, like I'm not saying Google's great, but like, you know, there's been a, like the way they do business, you know, you can bring your family to work. They've got daycares, they've got this, you know, like you spend 80% of your time working on your job or 20% of the time working on something that brings you joy. Like business is changing. The, the way we do business is changing. And it doesn't mean that profits have to change, but it does mean that, you know, we've realized that things, the working the way they were is not healthy for us as a society and as a population. And so what I love, you know, what I really want to bring forward is like embodied entrepreneurs who are in touch with their heart, in touch with their emotions, in touch with their feelings. And that's what drives them forward, not just the profit. The profit comes with the impact. Um, So, you know, more people living in alignment with their heart and with their soul. That's what excites me, you know? And, and from that, let's fucking change the world together, you know? Um, yeah, that's, that's, and then, you know, cause the businesses they create will make an impact in the world. Their, their employees will be more happy, which means their employees' families will be more happy. So like it filters down all the way through. Mm-hmm. That's kind of, that's the big vision. That's powerful, man. I, I love that. Love that. What's, where can somebody go if they want to reach out to you and get connected with you? Yeah. So tyronmobray.com um, is my, is my website. Um, it's, it's there, but mostly social media. Um, so tyron.mobray on Instagram. Um, obviously I'm heaps more content on, on the socials um, and Tyron Mowbray on Facebook. Obviously I have my personal page, which I post on less, but uh, my professional page content on there all the time. So um yeah, go there, hit the like, hit the follow. Uh, um, and yes, yeah, send me a message if you need it. Like I'm, I'm in my inboxes. I don't have a 
I have a team, but you know, I still do all my inbox messaging. So if they message me, they'll they'll get me. Um, yeah. And I want to try to keep that for as long as I can. Uh, you know, I like I like to be perf- I like people. I like to be personable. I um, yeah, and uh, you know, so yeah, social media is mostly um, or the website for a little bit for the. I think there's a self. I'm pretty sure there's a self pleasure guide on there to to get the get the ball rolling for that that space. Excellent. But yeah, and. Pr- and for those that are wondering, it's Tyron, T-Y-R-A-N, Mowbray, M-O-W-B-R-A-Y.com. Awesome. Tyron, man, this was such a fascinating conversation. Thank you for sharing your heart today, man. It's it's really, um, it's one thing to teach it. It's another thing to embody it and to show it. So thank you for your vulnerability today. I know that alone, um, there's a lot of wisdom and knowledge and guidance in that uh, example that you set today. So thank you. My pleasure, Peter. Thanks very much for having me, man. It was great. All right, brother. Till the next one.